Uh, we have been in God's presence this morning, amen? And uh, we're going to continue that as we get into his word. And uh, this series, uh, Passionate Winning at Love, is PG-13. And I'm going to say this every week. Uh, it's because the world is educating our, par- our kids. And parents, we have a job to do. And part of that job is to get into the word and say, here's, here's the truth about what God has intended with both identity, love, sex, marriage, all of those things. So the PG-13 is to prepare you as a parent to have those conversations. For the rest of us, it just means we come a little bit more curious. Amen? So today, as we get into this, uh, last week we began with kind of an intro that had to do with setting the mood and looking at the female soloist because Song of Solomon chapter 3, where we were last week, was uh, led by the female. She was delivering song, a song to her king. And today we're going to actually look, when we get to the text, at his words. Majority of the words are his. And so I thought, well, what are some of the great love songs that have been led by a male? And because I don't sing, someone else will today. So we're going to just play a couple of these that I picked out. See what you think. Uh, Are these the right love songs? And do you recognize them? Go ahead. Let's play the first. I do okay? Not bad, right? Went back a number of decades on that one. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a few. This, this gentleman was not the originator of this song, uh, but this was a big, big hit. Second song, please. Not yet? You don't, you don't recognize it yet. I'm aging myself as well for those millennials and Gen Z in the room. You'll recognize it in a minute. There it is. <laughs> All right, and the last one, and I got to tell you, just the, the, the bass and the rhythm alone is dangerous, so we'll see how long we'll let this one play. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. That's probably enough of that one. <laughs> So these are some love songs, and today we're looking at the Garden of Love. And uh, as we look at this, there's this bigger reality of what we see biblically. And I'm going to be in Song of Solomon, but also in a couple other places today to help us see this bigger picture. And uh, as we think about that, there's actually a, a gentleman, John Piper, who wrote a book, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. And you're like, wow, those two go together? They actually do. And uh, in that book, he talks about five ways that the Bible is a book about marriage and sex, at least five ways. Uh, There's a number of more, but let me show you these five uh, that, that he articulates in this book. He says, in the very beginning of the Bible, there is marriage. We'll get to that in a second. Second, at the very end of the Bible, there is marriage. Third, the central themes of the Bible are underlined with marriage metaphors, things like the bride of Christ, which is the church. The fourth, the sexual in the Bible is a chief arena of the brokenness of sin and therefore occupies an important place among the things that Christ came to redeem. Can I get an amen, church? Right? We don't often talk about this, but it's there and it is throughout Scripture. Number five, happily tucked away in the Bible among the law and the prophets is a little book called Song of Solomon. It is a collection of love and wedding songs. 
So we'll get to that in a minute. Right now, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at this bigger picture of marriage in the Bible and this idea of the garden of love. In Genesis chapter 2, God, we know that creation has passed you know, before. The, day, the days of creation have been completed. God said it is very good. And we jump into a little more detail about the human side of God creating and man and woman. We pick up in verse 24 and 25, and it's a moment where Adam has had all of the uh, animals pass in front of him, and he's had the ability to name them. And, and I mean, what a cool job that would have been, right, to name all of the animals. Yet at the same time, he probably was incredibly disappointed because he didn't see anything that was innately for him that was created in the same image. And so now we enter in is God has now created Eve, and there's a moment where he says, you know, woman, and I've always thought, like, that was probably him looking at her and going, whoa, man, and, and somehow it stuck, and, you know, there's, there's that. Uh, so verse 24 and 25 is where we pick up, and here's what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, think about that. There's this garden situation. God has created them for love, with love, by love. They're naked and unashamed. It's a perfect place with perfect harmony between God and between the husband and wife, between all of creation. As you think about that, I want to make this point here, if you're taking notes, that the garden of love was created by God with and for love. By God with and for love. God is love, and this was his intent. So they are naked and unashamed, unafraid. Yet we know something went radically wrong. Something that went wrong in that day that still affects today. And that's what I want to show you next. That leads to the second part of that quote, which is, and it was broken by human sin. In Genesis 3, the serpent tempts Eve. Adam does not take responsibility. In fact, when he's caught, he abdicates responsibility. And they take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As they take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it enters them and all of humanity into what we know is total depravity, that sin has now entered into the world. That each of us are born not naked and unashamed, but naked and with a brokenness that will reveal itself in some way, shape, or form throughout our lifetime because we have an inherent sin nature. That is not good news. That is hard to hear. But we have to be able to recognize that to understand how God also works later to restore and to redeem. But in this moment, in Genesis 3, picking up in verses 6 through 8, it says this. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, they're in the garden of love, right? It says, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig clothes together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine? They have this moment where sin has entered in. They now realize they're naked and they're, they're shame. They begin to hide. And in that garden of love is still God's presence among them because God desires to be among his people. He loves us that much. And this relationship now is experiencing for the first time shame and brokenness, separation because of sin. It says, that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, God among the trees of the garden. And that act of hiding is not something that doesn't exist today. That act of hiding from God in our sin and in our shame is something that often is our reality. We have different pieces of our life that are broken, different areas of our life that because of sin that, that are keeping us from the garden of love, that are keeping us from the God who wants relationship and presence and wants to walk with us. You, you see, I've told you this series is far bigger than just for marrieds. It's for single. It's for dating. It's for, mar it's for anybody that has a heartbeat because we all have the same human condition. Can I get an amen? And so when we are tempted to hide, that is a part of the barrier in the issue. Now, the beautiful thing is God doesn't leave us there, and we'll get to that in a minute. But think of all the ways we're tempted to hide today and all the ways that that hiding tempts us to fall into sin and other things. Some of us know we live in a world where there's a visually appealing aspect to much of what is pushed at us. That, that in fact, there's a saying, sex sells. That, that part of what is, is there and, and is, is being hidden is actually part of the lure and part of the appeal that, that the enemy uses. And so I just want to make it clear, if you didn't know this, that Victoria's secret is actually a lie. Oh, he said it. What? You see, Victoria's secret is actually Victoria's lie. Not picking on the company. In fact, I'm not even talking about the company if their lawyers are watching. I'm talking about my friend Victoria. It's a lie, okay? Because Victoria's secret is she is broken like the rest of us. That underneath what looks like this revealing, appealing thing that entices and lures us in, whether we're male or female for that matter, and whether it's actually Victoria's Secret or it's actually something more like pornography or soft porn even. These are things that lure us to believe that there's not underneath of that the same brokenness that each of us experience. It's a lie. And we have to see and to recognize that for what it is if we're going to begin to see God move and work. You see, brokenness is the human condition underneath the surface. We all have varying levels of it. And the beauty is God meets us in it just as we are. And as I say often around here, what we reveal, God can heal. What we reveal, what we will bring into the light, God can touch and heal and transform. And that is, without a doubt, Jesus' role and his heart's desire for you and I. Now, as we look at that, we're going to jump to the next section in Song of Solomon. And I'm going to just let you know what you're going to see here because uh, it, it's, the temperature goes up, all right? 
You see, in the garden of love, this is where love flourish, flourishes and redemptive lift happens. And we need to understand what these two words mean, that flourishing love is a love that is led by, filled with, not the brokenness, but the restoring and redemptive love of God. And that when that love begins to restore us to that garden state of fellowship, unashamed with God and with one another, our love relationships begin to flourish. As those flourish, there's a redemptive lift that happens. Say redemptive lift. There's a redemptive lift that begins to happen where his love lifts us out of the darkness, lifts us out of the brokenness, lifts us individually, lifts us in our relationships, if we're married, in our marriage. It is so vital to understand this. Because while what we read next is the king wooing his bride, it's also an allegory, a metaphor between Christ and his church. It has both aspects, that this is what flourishing love could look like. This is what redemptive lift can bring. So let's jump there now in Song of Solomon chapter 4. In the first seven verses, he, the king, says this. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Y'all, it's about to get weird. You ready? Okay. We're going we're gonna to explain this and deal with this because uh, it, a lot of it, if you don't have the context in 2022, you're like, you just said I look like a goat? Mm, boy, your night just changed, right? All right. Verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Translation, girl, you got all your teeth. <laughs> and I would say in 2022, that still translates. Like, it's a helpful thing. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like the halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. She must have had quite the neck. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. There is no flaw in you. Is there any perfect one other than Jesus? There isn't. What he's doing, though, is he's, their love is flourishing. It's a redemptive lift. He's saying, if you have a flaw, I love you anyway. I love all of you. I love all of who you are. And this is so important to understand. And so I, I want to show you a picture an artist put together of what those body parts he described might have looked like. There's at least eight of them that he described. And uh, again, I told you it's going to get weird for a minute. Here we go. Here's the picture. And uh, <laughs> as, as you look at that... Um, 
you know, it's important to, to know your spouse because that probably wouldn't have worked for each of you, right? But here's what he was saying as he describes her in Song of Solomon 4. When he's describing her as eyes, it would have meant that he's seeing her gentleness and her tenderness. Uh, with her hair, the goats, the hills uh, are like, you know, goats, he said. This is actually because they would have been alive. If you were to look at a hill filled with goats moving, they would have looked alive. And, and that was almost like a special effect 2,000 years, 3,000 years ago. And so he's describing you're alive, your hair is, uh, you know, moving, I guess. Uh, <laughs> teeth. <laughs> uh, he describes them because, like I said, they're clean and none are missing. And... Uh, Mouth, lips, and cheeks, as he describes those, her speech is a thing of beauty. He, he's saying that, that you are beautiful and your speech is a thing of beauty, which would speak to her character. He's describing part of her being and her character by saying it's a thing of beauty. Her neck and breasts, again, no flaw and perfection. And, and when you think about that, you know, in so many ways, when you enter into a relationship that, that you've committed to, that you're now married, you have a new standard of beauty. That standard of beauty is your spouse. Everybody else falls to the side. And so there is no flaw. There is no perfection, be, imperfection because you're actually seeing them as your standard, not what you see in the world or with somebody else, whether it's a male or a female, a husband or a wife. And this, as you may realize, is Solomon touching her heart, her mind, and her soul in a powerful way. You want to see redemptive love flourish. You want to see, you know, that redemptive lift. Let me just say this as clearly as I can. If you're married, study your spouse and touch their heart, soul, and mind before their body. Woo, pastor. If you're single... It applies too, right? You're getting to know the other. You're holding away from touching physically because as we learn in this passage over and over, he says, be careful to not awaken love before it's too early. It's like a fire that can consume you. Then everything becomes about the physical and we miss the aspects of heart, soul, and mind that are so important. So may, may we be a people that, that sees this big picture that gets excited about all aspects and then leans into what does it mean to allow the Spirit, that love to flow through us, to touch you know, heart and soul and mind in our relationships before we get physical. And if you're single or you're dating and you have boundaries, praise God for that, right? Psalm 37.4 is an important verse for you says this, delight yourself in the Lord. So you think of the garden of love. You think of the delight that you're hearing about. And that delight that you're committed to is to delight in the Lord and to trust that he will give you the desires of your heart in his timing and to not take things into your own hands, literally. To delight in the Lord and to trust him in his timing. Amen? Now the passage goes on, he isn't done. Verse 8, 
He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon, depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinar and Hermon, and from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. He's inviting her now out of unsafe and dangerous places to find safety with her or with him. This is what God does. He invites us into safety, that the garden of love is a safe space with our God. It says, verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. You know, I feel like my man was cheating somehow, right? Like, did he really write this good of poetry? You know, some of you guys, just Google it. You'll find something, right? The Holy Spirit inspired all of Scripture, and it's incredible to read just how well he's thought through, how he's studied, how he knows her, and how beautifully he's speaking, right? Verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. I mean, she smelled good. Back then, that you know, they didn't have running water. That's a big deal. Verse 12 is important. Verse 12 is really important. And as I've prayed over this this morning, I couldn't shake that we live in an era that has so shifted this. Verse 12, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. He's saying, my girl has kept herself. She's not loose, she's locked. We live in a day and age right now where there's many of a younger generation that are using a phrasing about a body count. Some of you haven't heard that. But that issue of a body count is how many partners, how many people have they been with? And it's so impersonal, so it doesn't talk about a face or a person or an intimacy, it talks about a body. I just want to affirm the truth of God's word, that there is value in doing things his way, That no matter what you believe the world is saying, no matter what you think that kind of living could could bring you, what we see here is what's still true today. When you are locked in to what the Lord has in his ways, there is an honor and a respect and a cherishing, a delighting that comes with that. And you're also not bringing as much baggage into your future relationships. Can I get an amen? Verse 13, he says, Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all its choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and alloys. With all choice spouses. He says, you're a garden fountain. Remember, we're in the garden of love. He says, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. And then she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Cindy, would you like to? No, I'm just kidding. She's going to join me in a minute. I had to do that joke now because I can't do it later when she's up here. All right. Uh, isn't God's word good and applicable? I mean, it, it really is. And, and so we see, yes, we see 
just how much he can do. Now, we had a broken garden. We can see what redemptive lift and and what flourishing may look like. And I want to bring us to the last piece here, that the garden of love, if you're taking notes, is possible because real love and restoration are available through the cross. That actually, as we see the narrative of Scripture, that whatever we've been through, whatever brokenness, whatever's there, that actually there is real love available through Jesus. It's actually in Luke 23 that there's, if you've been around church for a while, you've you've heard a, a familiar story of two thieves, one on either side of Jesus on the cross. And, and it's in that moment that one of them is heckling and, and tearing down Jesus and saying, you know, if, if you're the son of God, you know, you know, come off of this cross, show your power kind of thing. Blasphemy and mocking. It's the other thief that actually has a different response, that realizes that he is perfect, that he didn't deserve this. And he, he invites, he, he says to him, you know, will you welcome me today? Will you forgive me? And it's at that cross that we see the heart of God, the heart of Jesus to forgive and to restore. It's in verse 39 through 43 that one of the criminals, it says, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you say paradise? That word actually can be translated garden. That actually Jesus was saying, today you will be with me in the garden. Today you will be with me in the garden of love, that that I'm a forgiving God. That yes, you failed, but because of his death, because of his resurrection, he actually, when we come to the cross, forgives and restores. And he says to him, yes, today you will be with me in the garden. Maybe for you today, that's what you needed to hear. That there's nothing you've done, nothing that you've anything that you've experienced that Jesus can't redeem and restore if you'll bring it to the cross and humbly say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Maybe you need him individually. Maybe you need him in a relationship, in a marriage or another relationship. But Jesus is able. He's a restorer. He also then shows us that in the garden of love, because of what he has done, we also extend that love and forgiveness to others. In Ephesians 4.32, it says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Part of the garden of love extends to this bigger vision of what it means to be His, to be a part of a church, to be a part of the kingdom in our world where we're receiving his restoration and love, and we're extending it to others. And so now with that said, I'd like to bring up my beautiful wife, Cindy, to join me. And as she uh, joins, we had asked uh, last week for questions to be submitted. And uh, okay, 
All right. We'll switch. I like it. And uh, we just want to tell you that as we prayed and, and talked last night, we felt like there was a little bit different direction God wanted to go with this morning. And so we're going to uh, we're going to take the questions we've already received. We're going to say, hey, you can extend in some more. And the next time she joins me in November, we'll, we'll dive into those questions. But we really felt like the spirit was leading a different way with this, this moment. And, and really just the question, you know, Cindy, based on what you've heard today, um, yeah, what's on your heart? What would you like to share based on, you know, this message? Well, the first thing is I'll check the scripture before saying yes to being up here with my spouse. <laughs> when Brian invited me up on stage, I'm like, sure, I would love to join you. And then I'm like, well, you're teaching on what? Um, so as we just learned, uh, the garden of love, it's created by God, broken by sin, and redeemed by Jesus. And what I think we tend to forget, what I tend to forget is that middle level, broken by sin. And so in marriage and relationship, we're going to continually find ourselves in that space of brokenness and how are we going to deal with and work through and really own that we really need help in certain areas um, of our stories. And so for Brian and I, you know, the two became one. I'm sitting there and he's probably going to blush and I can't believe I'm going to say this, um, but I'm going to. As he's reading that, I was like, oh my goodness, that was us on our on our wedding night. Like, oh, I can relate to that, right? Um, I know, he's blushing. Yes, I can, and I, I just want to say that because it's so powerful, right? But then there's a, a turn coming because that's, that's how I, I looked at Brian, like so pure and selfless and honoring, right? And so the two become one, and both come into this garden, and there's brokenness. There's my brokenness. There's his brokenness. And we don't really know how to unpack that until things start to happen. And then, then we start to wonder, did I make the right choice? Like, why is there so much frustration here? Like, what is going on? Why am I insecure all of a sudden? Why is he being so whatever? We fill in the blank. He's probably saying, why is she being this way? But here's what happens in our gardens. There are these destructive weeds that can pop up. And we all know there's no perfect garden here on earth. So we need to, we have a choice. We can look away from those destructive weeds, right? And then it starts to grow because weeds don't just stop growing. They don't like weed themselves, right? Um, but then they start to choke out life in marriage and in relationship and even, you know, just sharing, you know, what, just bringing up all the insecurities, whatever those could be. And so we have these distinctive weeds, these destructive weeds, um, because of sin and, sin and shame and awkwardness can follow us into relationships and into the bedroom. And so this, as a result, creates a barrier between each other and then with our Father in heaven. And so what happens is when you lack the spiritual and emotional connection, it impedes the physical connection. It creates a barrier with that. And so like Adam and Eve, we begin gathering our fig leaves. 
And so if you think about the context of where you are right now in your relationship, in your marriage, what are your fig leaves? What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to not come honest with in one another? Because it might be embarrassing. Maybe you've never, ever affirmed your spouse because that, that just feels awkward. I'll tell you, we've had many awkward moments. This is one of them right now. But we've had many awkward moments in marriage. But I want to share with you our first six months of marriage right now to put some flesh to the scripture. And so I just shared that scripture he just read. I was like, that was us. That's amazing. But then what happens is shortly after Brian and I were married, um, I found something about his past that he, even to this day, he shares that he shared with me, and I don't remember it. Because when Brian and I got together and I learned that you know, he's a James Dobson family, promise ring, saved himself. I am thinking, wow, like, what's the worst you've done? He's like, well, maybe lustful thoughts. And, and I was crying out to God, like, really, Lord? You know, I haven't saved myself. And I actually found affirmation through men. And I dressed a certain way to get attention from men. And grew up in a fatherless home, which isn't the excuse, but man, does it really steer you towards a certain lifestyle so that you're screaming to a world that's busy, do you see me? And if they don't see you, you compromise your morals. You compromise everything that you stand against, and you dive in the deep end, and you just, you know, and that you just jump in that pit because it feels good in the moment. But I'll tell you right now, there's consequences, right? And so consequences to when I met Brian, I'm like, Lord, bless this man because I feel so bad for my past. And so as you all know, when I met Brian, I was head over heels with Jesus. And so Jesus had, Brian was the first Christian man I had ever dated. I was always attracted to the bad boys. I have no idea why. Maybe it was a challenge. And then I meet Brian. And uh, with that, I just had a lot of stuff to unpack. And so I gave him my past in three or four different stages, I didn't want him to pass out and give him all in once. I even told him the number of people I had been with. So he leaves, goes to his mom and dad's house. I didn't know where he went. I just knew I felt free because I knew he was being obvious about proposing to me. He's looking at my ring finger like, hey, let me hold your hand. I'm like, you're being so obvious. So he leaves and I told him everything, all the skeletons, nothing was left undone. And that's why after marriage and we're home the first week back from honeymoon, and he shares with me about he has pornography in his past. And I felt, who are you? And I went from looking at him like a man of honor and so lovely to lust monster. Truly, he became this lovely. That's why I share with you our wedding night, that scripture defined us. And just like that, the enemy took that. And I looked at him as just disgusting. And I made, the wrong dis I made the wrong choice. And so I don't know if you can relate to that right now, but he's not my enemy. The enemy used that to create division with us. And so our first six months of marriage was really hard. And I remember we'd go out in public and our close family and friends would be like, hey, you know, newlyweds, you know, because everyone gets that look. And they're thinking we're energizer bunnies in the bedroom. And we're not. We're really struggling. And 
I just said that. You did. We're really struggling, right? Uh. I only know how to put flesh to scripture, so I hope someone gets freed this morning just by hearing that. I'm like, no, I don't want to be next to him, you know? I feel really filthy, and in the bedroom was more like a disco ball with chicka chicka boyoing, and I don't know what's going on right now. Like, and I'm sharing this because when you come from a brokenness, when you find love in all the wrong places, walking down the aisle doesn't rescue and redeem all of that. It's a continuation to know that God created the garden, there's sin in the garden, and Jesus redeems, but it's that middle part that we constantly have to deal with, right? Thank you for all smiling. This is helpful. (laughs) So it was a journey. And if you're single, let's talk because I have lots to share with you. Um, And so in this process, I remember um, I chose to deal with the weed. And I said to Brian, I said, Brian, You say you share this with me, which I want to believe that because you're a man of truth. You're a man of your word. But how I feel right now, I feel so ugly and fat and muffin top. Ladies don't know what that means, or you do. But I went from feeling beautiful to feeling disgusting. And I said to Brian, I need you to help me. And so what happened next is I experienced a rage of jealousy that I had never experienced before in my life. We'd go out to dinner, and we're sitting there, and he'd look past me, and I'd look, and there's a beautiful server. And I'd say, so, what'd you think? He's like, think about what? I'm like, her. He's like, her what? I'm like, that girl, is she cute? And hello, we we know beauty. It's okay to, to recognize beauty, right? But it's what you do in, with the lingering, with the double looks. And so your eyes need to bounce so we can, we can realize beauty. And, okay. And so, uh, yeah. Um, and so I've lost my train of thought because of two minutes. Um, so we're sitting there and it was just this ebb and flow of he and I in relationship to where he would say, what do you need from me right now? And I said, what I need from you right now is quit watching football because of cheerleaders. Like, I have a sinking gut because they do the, the videography with the skirts. Like, I can't handle that. And I had to be really honest, although it might be embarrassing to, like, admit, I had to be completely gut-wrenching honest with him because I needed the weed pulled from the garden. And so on my birthday, a few months later, he gave me the cable cords to our TV because we didn't have all the fancy stuff we have now. And he gave that to me saying, I'm not watching any more sports until you are in a place of healing. And you see me as God sees me. And so right now where you're sitting, what, is, what do you need to do in the garden that God has given you, whether you're in singleness or in marriage or relationship? Because as long as we're on planet Earth, there's going to be something that's going to sprout up that we need to deal with. And then when you see it, don't partly own it. You need to fully own it, right? And so with that, God is faithful. And I want to end with Nehemiah 6, which talks about 
Um, Nehemiah, he inspected the walls. He's looking at as we inspect the gardens, right? And we kind of see what's going on. So Nehemiah, he, he, he went ahead and he was building the wall. He was rebuilding the wall. And as he did that, there was opposition. And then distractions came. And his response was beautiful in Nehemiah 6. Here's what he said. He had people come and say, what are you doing? And he said, I'm engaged in a great work, so I cannot come down. And so each of you here listening in, I want to encourage you with the same verse. You are doing, God's doing a great work in and through you. Do not come down. Keep doing the rebuilding. Keep doing the building. And God is faithful, and he will see you through. Amen. Amen. You see why I love her? That's my beloved, don't you? It's my girl. Um, no, it's so, uh, it's so good what God is doing. And one of the things that has impacted our lives in that, during that hard period of time, um, we actually attended a marriage conference and retreat, and they gave us some tools, some, some things that we didn't have. One of those tools is actually a part of it is in the, the booklet this week. And we wanted to make sure we highlighted this briefly. Uh, in our love booklet, you can download it from the website. You can get a copy at the Welcome Center. Um, there's an exercise every week that kind of goes with the message. This week's, the next slide I'll show you, is this idea of two chairs and communicating unspokens. You know, every garden has a withhold or an unspoken, positive and negative, things that maybe we're not saying that we should be saying, speaking truth and love. And so there's a couple of points there, but, but the booklet itself will walk you through how to do this. And one of the principles that came out of that was spending time in two chairs, 10 minutes for a good marriage, 20 minutes for a great marriage every day. And so if you can make that time in a relationship uh, to talk through things on a daily basis, you can do what we have just heard. You can begin to name and deal with both the brokenness, but also call out life and the redemptive lift. Amen? So we want to encourage you, take a look at that if you're single. That is even an exercise you can do with, uh, you know, family members, friends, and your small group, and it's something that you can use in the future uh, as well if that's the way the Lord leads. So with that, we want to just bring it to a place actually of, of inviting all of us to come to the cross and to pray and to believe that God can move and work. As we've talked about relationships today, uh, next weekend, I haven't actually spoke to this publicly yet from the pulpit uh, or from the platform, but we have our homecoming celebration, and uh, we are very excited. You are going to see a number of familiar faces uh, from the past that are here in a part of the service next weekend. If you've been around for a while, this is an incredibly redemptive and restorative moment. Our God is a healer and a reconciler. He is a bridge builder. Jesus is able, and he has been restoring and bringing redemptive lift. And we have 80 years of an incredible history to celebrate and honor all through the ups and the downs. If you're new to the church, you don't know the history. Many of you have said you don't really need to know. You just want to keep moving forward. And my hope is next weekend inspires you that if God's hand has been on our church, for 80 years and our school for 25, what could he do in the next 80 and the next 25? Amen? And so 
We believe, we believe to the, our core in the power of prayer and in the value of coming to the cross with anything. So every six weeks or so, we actually will finish the service with prayer circles. We're going to put up a slide, and uh, this is prayer at Pathway today. You know, we can't have breakthrough without bringing it to Jesus. There's a garden of love available in your home, in our church, and even with what God wants to do next week. And so what your invitation is today is to respond however the Lord leads you in the next few minutes. Some of you, you, you hopefully will, will stay for a few minutes, get into a group of four to eight people, and let's pray over next weekend and what God wants to do here. Amen? Some of you, you, you just need to process what you just heard. You're like, I didn't know that people could be this real in church. And, uh, you know, hopefully we didn't offend Hopefully you realize that, that, yeah, this is real life, and the Word of God speaks to it. And maybe you just need to individually process, and you need to pray. And then there's others that maybe you need to come forward. Uh, we all have prayer partners at our kneeling benches at the altar. Uh, Cindy and I are actually going to make ourselves available out here uh, in front if you'd like us to pray for you for anything, whether it's individually or as a couple. So I'm going to close this in prayer. If you're a visitor, welcome to church. Not the church you grew up with or the church you thought you were looking for. But I believe it's the church God has called us to be. And we hope you feel welcome and loved. We would love for you to stay in here as a time of response, to be prayed with or for. Even if you don't want to participate in a circle and pray out loud, you could listen to the prayers of others. When you're ready to go, visitors, out those doors, if you're on site, we have a gift and we'd love to welcome you. If you're online, we love you too, and our chat host will drop something in there for you, I believe. With that said, I'm going to just pray over us, and then we know how to respond, amen? Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you that there is a garden of love that you created us for, that it was your love that is still working today to restore, to redeem that if there's any issues, any things uh, like Cindy and I's story, God, we've seen you break through when we know you're, you're able. So may we come to the cross today. May we share that with one another. For next weekend, as we celebrate our 80th and 25th, Lord, we just thank you for the restoring work that you do. We thank you for all those that will be here honoring and celebrating the past through all the ups and downs and believing for an even greater future in what you're going to do. Father, bless us with your presence as we pray for one another and with one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go now and be the church.